Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. In the aftermath of uh, this week's election, uh, we have a chance to reflect a little bit on the past. In particular, uh, the state of Pennsylvania, which not too long ago had some great pro-life leaders, and actually from both political parties. You had the Republican like Rick Santorum. You also had Democrat, the late uh, Governor Robert Casey Sr., and my guest, Dr. Paul Kengor, has been giving that some thought. Paul, you know well, is the author of a number of books. Most recently, The Devil and Bella Dodd, which he co-authored with Mary Nicholas, and which is soon to be released this fall. He's also written The Devil and Karl Marx, A Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and The Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century. He's written spiritual biographies of Ronald Reagan, Hillary Clinton, George W. Bush, he is a professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, a senior academic fellow at the Institute for Faith and Freedom, and recently has taken on editorial responsibilities at the American Spectator. Paul, good to have you back here. Yeah, thanks, Al. Always good to be with you. Tell me about the work at the American Spectator now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that began, that was officially announced on October 20th at the annual Spectator Gala in Washington, D.C., and I've been doing the job since September. So R. Emmett Terrell Jr., who's the founder of the American Spectator, which he founded, Al, back in 1967 in, in Bloomington, Indiana. So Bob is uh, he's 78 years old. He's been looking for a successor to him as editor, and he, he chose me. So. Wow. I'm uh, yeah, I'm editor. He's he's still editor in chief, and he's going to become editor emeritus. And at some point, we'll make that change. But but right now, I'm really happy to accept it. And I told him, I said I could do it, but I can't leave Grove City College. Yeah, that they would, uh, my students would lynch me, and uh, everybody <laughs> else would if I, if I left Grove City. Uh, my family would lynch me if I left Grove City. So so he said, hey, no problem, no problem. So. So we're all good, all good. Very good. Well, it's good, it's good news. And you uh, wrote a column recently for the National Catholic Register where you're taking, uh, contrasting two Pennsylvanias and what you also call the tale of two Casey's, the death of a pro-life Catholic state. Uh, set that up for me. Yeah, well, and I'm a lifetime native of, of Pennsylvania, and I remember about, about the time that I was in college. It would have been late 80s, early 1990s, and, Bob Casey Sr., the great pro-life Democrat, who who was banished from speaking of the Democratic Convention by Bill and Hillary Clinton. In fact, it was mainly Hillary Clinton, and that really signaled for to the party, to the country, and to Casey that his Democratic Party, the party that he grew up with, that that my family of of you know pro-life Catholic Democrats, that's what I was raised by, that uh, you know that they could no longer count on the Democratic Party as being a party of life. And Casey ended up being the namesake of Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which was the, the great Supreme Court case where Casey lost. But um, quite beautifully, in, in last June, it was thanks to the Alito uh, Dobbs decision, Casey was finally affirmed. Right. Now, somebody who didn't support Casey in that decision is, ironically, outrageously, frankly, kind of chillingly, his son. Robert Casey Jr., yeah. who is the supposedly pro-life Catholic Democrat senator in Pennsylvania, who absolutely crushed Rick Santorum when he beat him, oh, 
guess, 2005, 2006. And at that time, a lot of us thought, well, you know, at least it's Casey's son, and he's pro-life, and maybe he'll help bring the Democratic Party back to a pro-life position. Yeah, I remember. But he's done just the opposite. Yep, yep. he's done just the opposite. He's drifted with the party to the point where the guy issued a press release after the Dobbs decision denouncing the Dobbs decision that, uh, that had affirmed his father. And uh, my, my, the point of my piece for National Catholic Register is you look at someone like Casey, you look at how Pennsylvania elected the country's only Planned Parenthood escort, Tom Wolf, to the governorship twice in overwhelming margins. They, and now they've elected John Fetterman, who is a Bernie Sanders Democrat, flies a LGBTQ rainbow flag outside the lieutenant governor's office next to his pro-legalization marijuana flag, is super radical on abortion. And we now have um, Josh Shapiro is succeeding uh, our, our Tom Wolf as governor. So those three big positions, two U.S. senators and the governorship, are all now run by pro-choice Democrats. And it's really, I, I think, signals the death knell of, of the, the great pro-life bipartisan leadership among Catholics that we once had in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, and as you point out, it also, uh, there, there are still people out there that were hoping against hope that Democrats would somehow uh, reopen their hearts uh, to protect preborn human life, but this certainly no, no, is... No, it's gone. It's gone. And, yeah. And Casey, yeah, yeah, and Casey, we were... We were literally praying for Casey, Casey Jr., and he's just gotten worse and worse and worse. He is, he, he, there's no way you could call him pro-life at this point. Right. His, I'd have to look up the latest, but his, you know, NARAL and, and uh, National Rights to Life rankings are, um, are, are, are very bad. I mean, probably about a B, B-plus for NARAL, probably about a D, I, w- I would think, for National Rights to Life. Is no longer reliably pro-life vote, and he's like I said when, when he repudiated his father's own Supreme Court case. I mean, I mean, Al, his father must have rolled over in his grave. Yeah, because this was not just a, uh, a tipping. This was not just adopting a, a pro-abortion position. I mean, he was vociferous against the Dobbs yeah. decision. Right, right, it, it, absolutely stunning and. And I remember fellow Pennsylvania pro-lifers, we would, we would talk about Casey sometimes. I remember an extended conversation one time with a Pennsylvania pro-life leader about how bad Casey had gotten. And, and I remember saying something like, or maybe he did, one of us did, that, um, boy, you wonder if Casey would even support his old man and Planned Parenthood be Casey. You know, yuck, yeah. yuck, yuck. Right, right. Well, guess what? He, he, he didn't. <laughs> he, he actually didn't support his father. Right. It's, 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 a, it's amazing. But, but that's how bad the party has become where you could count on one hand and maybe subtract two or three or four fingers, I don't know, the number of pro-life Democrats in the entirety of the Congress. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it's astonishing how the party has gone in that direction. And, and I must say, most regrettably, it, it's only happened with the support. Of Catholics. Of, 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 yeah, of Catholics. And, and, and I've met them again and again. Uh, I just be careful what I say. At my parish, yeah. you know, they're, they're, you know they, they, they've, 
and, and the most frustrating ones have not been kind of the modern upstart liberal cultural LGBTQ Catholic, but the seventy plus eighty year old Catholic Union Democrat pro life against all that cultural sexual crazy stuff, but just takes that 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 yard sign for whatever candidate has a D next to his or her name and plants it in the front yard. And then, and then walks into the voting booth and, and, and would vote for the devil himself if he had a D next to his name. I've yeah. seen it again and again. Yeah. No, it's it, amazing. It, it's enormously frustrating. In the state of Michigan, we uh, were facing a proposed constitutional amendment uh, that would have made a right to abortion uh, part of the, again, Michigan Constitution. The polling that was done in September indicated that 57% of Michigan Catholics uh, supported the pro-abortion constitutional amendment. Uh, Yeah, 57%. Thankfully, the Michigan bishops fought, and by the end of last week, I believe it was, uh, only 47% of Catholics were supporting (laughs) this pro-abortion amendment. So. You something has happened over the last generation, a breakdown between the teaching of the church and those who identify as Catholic, and many people have scratched their heads. They don't know how it happened, and the the problem is it has happened, though, and uh, the bishops have a responsibility to uh, fix the problem. Yeah, well, I think you identified it. I would say teaching has been the issue. An even more startling percentage of the number of Catholics who don't believe that uh, the body and blood of Jesus is in the Eucharist. Right. right. And, you know, I, I can't tell you. I've, I've, you know, I've never heard. I've never heard a homily you know, laying out, you know, the kind of the case from, from you know, you know the, the, the bread of life discourse and, and John or wherever laying out the, what Catholics believe about the Eucharist. Yeah. I, I've never heard anything like that, and I mean, I, I have heard some pro-life sermons. I, I, I got an email this morning, which I shared with two of my daughters, and my daughter just said, you know, let's pray for this lady. It was from a woman in eastern PA, who's eastern Pennsylvania, who's Catholic, goes to a Catholic parish, and she was angrily, fanatically pro-choice. I mean, it was a diatribe against the church against even Pope Francis's pro-life position yeah. um, against men and just on and on and on. I, I did a, 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 a syndicated talk show on a Catholic channel a few weeks ago, and a woman called in who works for the Archdiocese of Chicago, who, who's, a, who's, a, who's a pro-choice Catholic Democrat, who was voting for Biden, voting for the Democratic Party, was really angry about my position. So it's um, a lot of these are, are older Catholics, but 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 now after the, the battles we're losing today, a lot of them coming up are younger ones. So it's um, it's very disheartening, very disheartening. Yeah, yeah, and and um, as you pointed out, uh, Pennsylvania was often looked upon as uh, a state that had was a little more conservative than uh, a lot of the other. Uh, uh, working uh, working class states, uh, but now it looks as though it's completely gone over uh, to the other side. And I, yeah, yeah, I. 
think in 2016, Pennsylvania see. went for, in 2016, didn't Pennsylvania go for Trump? That's right. And, of course, a lot of people think Pennsylvania did in 2020 as well. But, yeah. but the, and, and I, I could, I could tell you that the main reason, to be totally frank, why Fetterman won in Pennsylvania was early mail-in balloting. And um, it was mail-in balloting that did it for Joe Biden over Trump. And in Fetterman's case, it was all before his disastrous debate. Yeah. That if all the voting had happened after, Fetterman probably would have lost. Interesting. But, yeah. Well, yeah. thanks so much, and congratulations on the new work, and uh, look forward to reading you more in The Spectator. You got it, Al. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, Dr. Paul Kengor, I'm Al Kresta.